Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. This episode will cover Twin Peaks Season 3, Part 13, Back in Town. So what's going on in Twin Peaks? These are the scenes that take place in the town organized by the different subplots. So let's jump right into that. The Shelley and Bobby storyline shows up kind of sideways. This story that originated way back in the pilot that got renewed a couple episodes ago when we saw them together and saw that they were a couple. Becky was their daughter, but now they appear to no longer be together. There's a little shadow of that here as Bobby shows up at the diner, clearly looking for Shelley, even asks for her. And she's home and he's kind of lonely. And so Ed and Norma invite him in. And uh, that's really all we get for that particular storyline, that uh, couple or ex-couple, but it kind of haunts the scene and adds some extra poignancy to Ed and Norma, who we'll talk about now as well. The storyline of Ed and Norma, this is where that storyline really finally gets going 13 episodes into this season. We've gotten a few brief glimpses, really only, I think, a mention of Ed's name. We haven't seen him until this episode. Bobby walks into the diner. He sees big Ed and Norma sitting at a table, and they invite him to sit down with them, and he kind of asks Ed if he's intruding, and Ed says, oh, nothing's going on here. And then the manager of her franchise walks in, and Ed has to leave and go to another table, and he watches as Norma talks to this other guy and is clearly jealous and forlorn. And the final scene of the episode is Big Ed eating soup and just sitting in his little office in the gas station watching the cars go by and burns a little book of matches, and it's just this very poignant scene. It's uh, very, very Edward Hopper-esque. You know, this is, that's one of Lynch's favorite painters, and it just screams Hopper. The colors, the lighting especially, and even just the mood of it. This guy sitting alone at his desk looking melancholy out toward the street. I mean, it's just, it's Hopper all over. There's an interesting moment in this where we see Ed's reflection shift in a weird way. So we get, I think, an over-the-shoulder view. So we can see him sit, you know, the back of his head, and then we see his reflection caught in the glass overlooking the street and there's one point where suddenly it just kind of stutters and repeats itself and goes back to almost the same sort of image the reflection i mean um the main foreground doesn't cut at all so something strange is going on there people had all kinds of speculation is this a supernatural sign are we in a time skip does this have anything to do with the person running into the diner a few episodes ago and we see you know what uh, we cut uh, from the counter and we cut back and there's like different people at the counter people read a lot into this i have a suspicion that maybe the reason we see this reflection repeat is perhaps this is a composite shot, which would be pretty good effects because it looks pretty seamless. But I'm wondering if Lynch just liked the shot of the car going by in front of Ed as he sips his coffee. And in the actual take, they didn't get it timed exactly right. There was maybe too much of a gap between the two cars going by. And so in editing, he just said, can we just take that background of the the car going by and just like loop it or cut it splice it in and they didn't think about the reflection or if they noticed it they thought nobody else will ever notice it or something i don't know i mean things happen in editing sometimes that seem really obvious in retrospect but you can miss but that I, I suppose if they're looking at that a lot, that might be difficult to miss. I don't know. That's my thought, though, that maybe that's why we see that. I also love the little bear statue, the head 
on uh, Ed's desk. There's also a scene having to do with this storyline where Jacoby and Nadine are connecting. Nadine is a big fan of his and she's all excited to see him outside. For the Jacoby plotline, we see Dr. Jacoby driving past Nadine's store, which is a silent drape runner store, which is wonderful to see that finally paid off for. Her. And he sees a gold shovel in the window with the curtain running across it and he's all excited. So he walks up, knocks on the door, rings the doorbell. Nadine comes out and they talk and Jacoby remembers seeing her look for a potato in a supermarket uh, on the day of the big storm seven years ago. It's a nice evocative little anecdote memory. And also the thing I like about it is it references the in-between years of Twin Peaks. You know, I mean, it's, it's implicit anyways, but sometimes with stuff like Ed and Norma, it's almost like everything just paused for 25 years until we could come back to see it. But this reminds us, no, they've been living their lives for a quarter century in this town and going to the grocery store on the day of a storm and losing a potato. People wondered if Jacoby and Nadine would get together after this. That might be a little too on the nose. Oh, now they're a couple or something. Perhaps it's just better to have him inspiring her. For the Cooper investigation, we don't spend really much of any time at all in this episode with it, but Bobby does mention that he and the sheriff's crew got the message from his father. So this tells us that this this scene takes place on that day from a few episodes back where they go to his mother, they check the chair, they get the little capsule. So we don't find out anything new about Cooper's investigation in this episode. Or the investigation into Cooper, I should say. But it is mentioned. In the Sarah storyline, we see her drinking while her television loops through an old boxing match, as I described previously. People wondered if this had anything to do with Bushnell, because we see the boxing portrait behind him. This is something where, and I'll mention this when I talk about what days things take place on, it's hard to tell exactly what day this is or if it's a different day from the other scenes we've seen of Sarah if it's before her going to the store and getting it if all of these scenes of her watching TV are all actually part of the same night certainly Lynch obviously shot them all together in the house and some of it might have been a little bit improvised without any idea of when it takes place so it's all very ambiguous and that seems like part of the point and that's that's further emphasized by the repetition on the TV. Just Sarah is completely lost in this limbo. It's like the more real-world analog to Cooper being trapped in the lodge. She's just trapped in this space of repetition and numbness and occasional bursts of pain and just being trapped here. As far as the Roadhouse storyline goes, uh, it's mostly overtaken by the James stuff. Uh, we do see the MC introducing him, and that's interesting because I think at first we don't see the MC until the Nine Inch Nails episode. This might be the first time we've seen him since then, so it's kind of funny. It goes from that huge dramatic moment in Part 8 to this very sort of goofy anti-fan service in a way, but it's a nice gesture. The Becky storyline, Becky's upset, she's crying, she calls Shelly to weep to her on the phone and obviously not feeling great, and Shelly invites her to the diner to have some pie. She almost dismisses her and then gives it a second thought and says, you know what, why don't you come here? I'll make you a big piece of pie with a scoop of ice cream. And it's a very charming little scene. Becky is suddenly broken by this. She goes, oh, all right. Like broken in a good way. You know, her bad mood is broken. She gets up and she goes. For the James storyline, it finally picks up again after part two. I think this is the longest gap between seeing characters. He's introduced by the MC at the Roadhouse and he sings Just You. And... That's, of course, the song that he sang in episode 9 of the original series, which many fans despise. I always really liked it, 
And, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised to find out how much people hate it. I get it. He sings in this silly sort of high falsetto, but to me, it's just quintessential Lynch. It's that Mulholland drive where they're lip syncing in the soundstage, and it's just sort of eerily hypnotic and everything. And I always liked it. It's funny, now James actually gets a chance to finish the song because it was cut off by Donna running out of the room in the original episode. So now we get to see it the whole way through. And this time he's singing it to Renee, the uh, woman who he was looking at in the bar in the earlier episode. There exchanging glances and she's actually like crying and talking to someone else who we never see and it seems like she's really moved by this and we think oh that's nice they're like uh maybe he's finally found love i remember when i first watched this episode as with many of these episodes i ended up watching it at my parents house in this case my dad was watching and he was like i just started laughing uproariously when this song played because i knew what lynch was doing as a twin peaks fan and he was just kind of mystified like why are you laughing this is like a nice song for the rr franchise plotline i always call it rr double R franchise. Walter, who is the manager of the franchise for Norma, he shows up and he's all cheerful and chipper, but also kind of phony. I suppose you could be generous and just say that's his personality and he's a nice guy or whatever, but I think most people watching it get kind of a sleazy vibe from him is just a little too polished and chipper so he sits down with norma he opens up a laptop shows her profits and losses of the double r's very optimistic says they're doing much better than expected three of the five have turned a profit so this is the payoff for all of those scenes of norma sitting at her desk doing bills there's been like three or four of those so far and now we're finally finding out why it's because she's now the owner of a franchise Uh, five different restaurants with this one as its flagship and walter says he wants her to put her name on the diner because the other diners are called norma's double r marketing this hometown charm and she just feels like well the double r it's got its own name it's got its own identity she shouldn't put her own name on it they also have a little contention about the pie ingredients but i'll save that for the coffee pie and donut section this week we get a little bit about richard's father not in twin peaks but actually in the mr c section because we see richard is at this strange like warehouse location watching Mr. C on the TV. We've all already suspected that uh, Cooper is his father. The Stephen and Gersten story, meanwhile, is implicit in the phone call that Becky makes to Shelley. We don't hear her name come up. I mean, we never heard her name come up other than in the credits when she was reintroduced a couple episodes ago. But uh, the fact that Stephen has a mistress, that that's who Becky was chasing after when she fired the gun, all of that is kind of wrapped up in this scene that is mostly more about uh, Becky and Steven's relationship. So even though we don't see Gersten in this episode at all, she's still continuing to play a role in the narrative at this point. The Audrey storyline, we have Audrey telling Charlie that she feels like she's somewhere else, she's someone else, and Charlie says, I always feel like myself, which is a great response. I think this scene really cements for me that I I really like their strange dynamic. I, I like the weird language games they play, and... It's it's an it's a cool kind of uncanny that Lynch can do very well. I think some stuff in not even just Inland Empire, but deleted scenes of Inland Empire, more things that happened, which is this sort of slow, dead air uh, kind of approach to a lot of the material that was left out of Inland Empire. And also his first film with dialogue, The Amputee with Katherine Coulson. He's like a nurse or doctor operating on her leg as she sits there and reads a letter or writes a letter and we hear her voice reading it or something. And it's just where we have no context for what she's talking about or who these other people are in her letter. There's all these names dropped. I mean, it's a very, very clear antecedent to the Audrey scenes. She has a very Snow White quality in this 
just in this whole storyline, but I noticed it in this episode, she's got the red cloak or coat that she's got in her arms, very black hair and the white skin and the black dress. It's just, there's something very fairy taleish about it, and particularly Snow White. And a lot of people thought Clark Middleton was a dwarf because of the way they've got him sitting. And uh, he has, I'm not sure exactly what the condition is, but you know, he do, he does have something where, like, his limbs and, and his body are a little out of proportion and stuff. So I think people thought, I, I almost kind of remember that maybe somebody thought there was, like, an explicit seven dwarfs thing going on. But he's actually the same height as Audrey, so that's not quite the case there. Another thing about seeing the Audrey scene so close to the Sarah one is it really sinks in that there's a similarity going on in this. With, with Sarah never speaking and Audrey speaking non-stop, and yet they're both these women in this town kind of trapped in their head in almost a space that doesn't quite seem real, doesn't quite seem like it's shared with the other people there. There's like a hypnotic, repetitive lull to these scenes, uh, in one case because of the dialogue, in another because of the sounds uh, on the TV. And a storyline that's disappearing now after four episodes of Absence is Beverly's marriage. The last time that we saw anything to do with this was part nine, when they had another moment listening to the noise and Ben said, I can't do this. Now, they didn't mention her husband, but there's a sort of an implicit aspect of that there, that he knows she's a married woman and perhaps that's the reason he doesn't want to pursue a romance. For now, we can put that storyline aside as dormant within the narrative. We'll see if it comes back or not. Tomorrow's episode will deal with Part 13's mythology, what happens in the spirit world places, and also the general lodge lore of the episode, concepts and ideas and themes that uh, deal with the mythos in part 13. See you then.